You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. We'll start with a question today, a question you may have considered in the past, maybe not. We'll take a few minutes to think about it together today as we read through this text. Here it is. What's the goal? What's the purpose like, of the Christian life? Where's this thing going? Like We're on this journey. We're walking with Jesus. We're trying to be his followers. We're trying to be faithful to that. But what does he actually want for us like, this afternoon? Not in theory, but in actuality. Like, what's the goal for me and you from Jesus now? In my relationships, in the church, in the Sunday school classes, when you clock in tomorrow morning, wherever, like in every moment of our lives. And different people would come at this different way. Like, what's the goal? And we kind of emphasize different aspects. Maybe, you know, we're thinking, well, like, the goal is to get forgiven, right? We're on our way to hell. We need God to forgive our sins. Like, isn't that the goal? Isn't that at least one of the goals? For other people, some folks may come along and say, well, like, forgiveness is important, but there are things that come after that. We've got to do some good works and have a positive impact for Jesus on the world. And that's, like, that's good and true, certainly. Paul talks about that. Others might focus on the relational aspect, like God's goal for us is to, to bring us into this union relationship with himself where we're, we're drawn deeply into his life. That's true. Others might say, well, the goal is mission, right? That's where we're supposed like bringing others to Jesus, evangelism, sharing the gospel, like planning churches, like those are goals. And, and at one level, we can kind of hear that and we can say, well, don't all those things get at the goal in one way or the other? Maybe if we're kind of like looking at it from different perspectives, we don't want to say anybody's wrong about any of that. But I wonder if there's like some central image, like a cohesive image that kind of grabs all those different things, which we want to say are in the right direction, certainly, and holds them together. Like, is there a concept in Scripture that helps us understand how all of these different pieces of the Christian life, sharing our faith, relating to Jesus, doing good things, being involved in the mission, all these different things, what holds them together? And when I read Colossians chapter 1, I think there's an image there. I'm reading through this, and I hear Paul say, that he desires for the Colossians, and I believe he desires this for all of us, to bear fruit. He wants them to have fruitful lives. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to blossom. He wants their lives to be generating something, some kind of fruit. And it's a metaphor, isn't it? Like trees are fruitful. <laughs> But what's the metaphor getting at? Like, how does the image help us? And so Paul fills that in for us. Here's a fruitful life. But if we're going to say that fruitfulness gets at all these other ideas, like, what's the goal of the Christian life? Paul says, be fruitful, bear fruit. Like, this is what I want you to do. 
bear fruit. And then I'm thinking, well, Paul, that raises more questions for me. How do I do that? Like, I'd like to have a positive impact in the lives of the people around me. I'd like to, if that's what we mean by fruitfulness, and I think that's a big part of it. But how? And again, Paul is helpful for us. He, he wants to help us. And if we were to ask him, like if we could just sit down with him and say, Paul, how do we cultivate this fruitful life you're talking about? Like, that sounds good. I'd rather have a life that's giving richness and goodness and wholeness into the world. But how do I do that instead of something else? And Paul's answer for us is really pretty straightforward, isn't it? For Paul, a life filled with fruit grows from a life filled with God. If you want to be fruitful, you've got to walk with God. Now that may sound kind of like, duh, preacher, obviously. But I think there's more going on there than we may initially realize. I think it's more crucial than we probably take for granted. I think it's probably harder than we often assume. If a life filled with fruit grows from a life filled with God, the crucial thing for the church is to be filled with God. Right? There's no gimmick for fruitfulness. It's not like, hey, let's go buy a curriculum that will make us fruitful. Or, hey, let's try a new program and that'll kick some results into the life of the church. There's a lot of stuff out there. If you're a preacher, you know how Facebook kind of like tailors the stuff it shows you to your job or to your profession, or if you're like asking theology questions on Google, Facebook's going to show you some church supply pages and things like that. Like, people will sell you stuff all over the place, all kinds of gimmicks and programs that are supposed to bear fruit in your church. Like People will show up and people will grow. But I don't think Paul has some kind of gimmicky sales technique in here in mind. He just wants the Colossians to be singularly, 100%, completely, unreservedly, unhinderedly focused on God in Christ in the life of the Spirit. So you be filled with God and your life will blossom. Your life will be fruitful. Your life will just, you will impact other people in a positive way if you're filled with God. Now he introduces this idea of fruitfulness in the context of the way the Colossians were previously unfruitful, like their lives were not always this way. He mentions the first day they heard the gospel in verse 6. If you have your Bibles open, I hope you keep your Bibles open. You may want to just read this with me. He mentions in verse 5, the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then a new sentence begins, you've heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. So like, there's this moment in your lives where you begin to be show fruit. Like new life begins to happen. Good, good, healthy things begin to come from your life. And that means the day before that, good, healthy things were not coming from your life. You were not flourishing. You were not blossoming. You were not offering good, wholesome, nourishing life 
to the people around you. You weren't. What were you like? Well, he fills that picture in too. Take a look at verse 21. You who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death. Right? So there was a period in your life, he says, where you weren't doing good works to bear fruit. You were doing evil deeds. You were separate from God. You were oriented towards yourself. And yeah, you may do some charitable things sometimes. And that's where we would kind of want to say, no, 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 like, like people don't know Jesus, don't just do evil stuff all the time. But Paul's getting at something way, way deeper than just kind of what we do on Monday or Tuesday. He's getting at this orientation of our hearts before the gospel shows up. The orientation of our hearts before the gospel shows up. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? So there's this several places in this text where you get this, you start out in darkness, you get transferred into the kingdom of the sun. You start out in evil works, working death, he transfers you into a place where you can bear fruit for good. Right? There's a movement there, and it all hinges for Paul on the day you hear the gospel. And not just the day you hear the gospel, but the day you trust the gospel. Truly comprehend it, he said. Which means you can hear the gospel and not truly comprehend it. You can hear the gospel and not trust the Lord who is the content of the gospel. There's this crucial piece. If you want to be fruitful, comprehending, embracing, believing, trusting the God who is announced in the good news. And when that happens, you're thinking about that metaphor of fruitfulness, right? The seed goes in the ground, it's watered, it begins to sprout, a tree grows up, and all of a sudden there's yummy fruit over time. I said all of a sudden. It takes a little more time. The gospel plants the seed of God's grace in your life. And the Spirit of God goes to work and brings it, cultivates it, so that it, it comes to fruition. And not only is it a lovely thing to look at, it's nourishing. It produces fruit. It makes us whole and healthy. It's not just oriented towards me. It's not just, I'm going to have my way. It's my life is now offered to God and to neighbor. Turned outwards. So, right, so for Paul, like he, wants to, he wants to help the Colossians and us think through, this is what your fruitful life looks like, but it's really crucial to recognize that there's a period of time before Jesus shows up and takes hold of you that you're not fruitful. You're in darkness. You need to be rescued. You need to be reconciled. You need to be, you need to be transferred into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of His Son. So part of like being filled with God is recognizing our need for Him. If a life filled with fruit grows from a life filled with God, then step one is my confession, God, my life is not naturally filled with you. My life is naturally filled with me. 
And I need you to take this self-oriented, self-concerned, self-focused curve. Charles Wesley called it our bent to sin. It's a striking image. Like my life is bent away from God and towards sin. I need you to take that inward bending and turn it out. And fill my life with you instead of me. This is why you hear in the Gospel of John, he must increase, I must. That idea is the same idea. You want to be a disciple? You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be fruitful? You want to be faithful? More Jesus, less me in my way. All the way across. Life filled with fruit grows from a life filled with God that does not come naturally. It's a work of God's grace through the gospel. So Paul gives us this initial cultivation of the fruitful life. Declared through the gospel. And the gospel works fruit. And as the gospel is working fruit, telling us about Jesus. Like Jesus, fully human, fully God, crucified, resurrected, ascended. Trust Him. He died for you. He also begins to show us what a fruitful life looks like, doesn't He? And this is one of the things that happened, right? Like, like, a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about like Jesus was born, fully God, fully human. We talk about Jesus died and was raised. But there's a lot of stuff that happened in the middle. He goes around doing good. He goes around offering his life to others. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life. He came to do something for you. He came to care for you. He came to wash you. He came to redeem you. Right? And so then we, we get this stunning image, like you want the gospel, read Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Him, all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things. In Him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. In him, here's the crucial piece, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Right. So here's a guy, fleshly body, fully human. Right. He's one of us. There's a song when I was in high school, What If God Was One of Us? If you remember that, every time it came on the radio, I would think, but he is in Jesus. He is knows exactly what it's like in his fleshly body. The image of God dwells perfect. So here we've got a human body filled with God. That's one way to talk about it. Human body is where God takes his life and just unites this body to himself. And we get Jesus, one person, Jesus, fully God, fully human, two natures. They're not mixed into some kind of weird thing. Not like there's this big divide, like you got a little God over here, a little half Jesus, half human, half God. It's not one of those kind of deals. He's fully God, he's fully human. And in Jesus, right, you've got a human life that's filled with the life of God in every way. And you have a fruitful life. Like read through the Gospels. If there's a human life that was fruitful, it's Jesus. People meet him. Their lives are changed every time. 
People who can't walk, dance. People who can't speak, shout. People who are possessed by demons are free. Sinners redeemed. His life filled with God is offered out for us. In every instance. All the time. He's constantly cultivating life in his Father. Goes away to pray. He's cultivating that life in God. And then he comes back and offers himself to us. You want to know what a fruitful life looks like? You look at Jesus. You want to be fruitful? You need to be filled with God. How do you get filled with God? You run to Jesus. Because Jesus brings the life of God to us. In his body, he unites human nature and God's nature. Brings us together. It's mysterious. It's stunning. I don't get it. I'm not going to try. Smarter people than me have been thinking about that for 2,000 years. The good news is, Jesus brings the life of God to human bodies and fills us up. Why? So that His perfect love can radiate out from us to our spouses and our children, to our cousins and our grandparents, to our grandchildren and our co-workers people we have not yet met, to the poor, to the lost, to those who need to experience the goodness of the presence of God in his church, the body of Christ. Remember, he's the head of the body. He wants to, the life of the head, here's another image or metaphor, a body fills up the body. He's redeemed himself to you so he can fill you with his life, so that you can bear fruit. Ongoing. Continual. And then you think, but, like, <laughs> that's Jesus, don't you remember? Son of God, perfect one, without fault or blemish or anything. Like, of course, he's, I'm not him. Isn't it easy for him? And when I read the Gospels, I'm not sure it is easy for him. Honestly, people who are so strikingly tempted that their veins in their forehead pop and blood comes out through the pores in their skin like sweat, like that doesn't feel easy to me. Maybe it does to you, I don't know. When your best friend calls on you to abandon your God-given vocation and you turn around and say, get behind me, Satan! Like you don't call your best friend Satan if it's like when things are going well. I don't think. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. It's not easy for him. It's not easy for him when we read the Gospels. Still, though, how does it transfer? And I think Paul anticipates that because in all of his or in lots of his letters and in this one, he's always introducing his colleagues. Have you noticed that? In this one, it's Epaphras. He doesn't get a lot of time right here. He just gets an introduction. But Epaphras is 
one of Paul's delegates. He had delegates. He'd send them out. Timothy, Titus, Ephesus, all these folks. He'd send them out to go do stuff and relate to the churches. This network of people, and he would just send them out. Verse 7. The grace of God you comprehended, you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And it's easy just to kind of skim over that, because like, I don't know Epaphras, do you? But I think Paul includes him there, right before he starts saying, like, here's my prayer for you. I want you to live this stunningly fruitful life. Here's what I want that to look like. Like, I think he is anticipating the possibility that somebody's going to say, like, that's not possible for us, Paul. Like, that kind of wholeness, sure, yeah, Jesus, okay, son of God, but not us. And Paul's already got this guy Epaphras introduced, who's faithful. A faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And I wonder if when they heard this letter read the first time, because that's how it worked, like somebody would stand up and read the letter. My prayer is that you bear fruit in every good work. I wonder if somebody's mind didn't go, oh yeah, like Epaphras. I mean, talk about a fruitful life. He's traveled to be here with us, to care for us, to be a minister on our behalf. And they got way more context than we do. These are folks who'd probably been up at night praying with Epaphras. These are folks who'd been struggling with things, and this guy had been there ministering to them. We just get this one little almost throwaway sentence. He's a faithful minister on your behalf. But the people who hear this reading go, oh yeah, that guy has loved us. His life has borne fruit in our church. He has cared for us. He's declared the word of God to us. He declared the gospel to us. And, hit, and, it, and, it's, and it's bearing fruit. And our lives are changed. And so I think Paul he, Paul, he gives us this vision, fruitful life, and he anticipates the objections. Not sure that's possible for me. Yeah, Jesus, but not me. And Paul says, well, there's these guys all over the, like my, my delegates, they're faithful, they're fruitful, they're filled with God, and you are benefiting from that. Now, my prayer is that that same character is reproduced in you. And how does it work? Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, for the purpose, you may lead lives worthy of God, fully pleasing to Him, as you bear fruit in every good work, and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So here's the thing. Here's what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, I'm praying that you'll be generally encouraged when you stumble in sin. A lot of evangelicals talk that way, like, hey, you got a sin problem, like, that's just life, get used to it. The rest of your life, you're going to be crushed by this burden, and hopefully you'll just be relieved of it at death. Very discouraging sometimes. Your sins are forgiven. Now you're going to struggle with your sins the rest of your life. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to pray for you while you struggle. He doesn't say, I'm going to pray for you while you fall to temptation every day. What does he say? My prayer is that 
you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will for the purpose that your lives might be worthy of the Lord. Is my life worthy of the Lord? Notice the crucial piece there. You have to be filled with the knowledge of God. <laughs> right again, if I want to be fruitful, I've got to be filled with God. So if I spend all my time being filled with other things, media, consumption, whatever, if I spend my time being filled with other hobbies or activities, and I don't spend any time being filled with God, searching the Scriptures, worshiping Him with the church, gathering with my small group, serving alongside other believers, attending to the normal, old-school, old-fashioned means of grace, in normal ways, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, prayer, Scripture, community, church. You want to be filled with God? That's where He fills you up. Paul says, if you do that, if you're filled with the knowledge of God, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the, the result, the consequence, is that your life will be worthy of Him. If you walk with Him, you will become like Him. And you'll grow and bear fruit. That's the result. That's the consequence. We spend a lot of time complaining about how bad the world is. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you've done that in the last week. I imagine it would be most of us. It's easy to get pessimistic. Wrong people are in power. and They're all crooked anyway. And it feels like everything's just falling apart at the seams sometimes. So easy to slide into that place of constant complaining about how bad things are. When the gospel invites us to celebrate the gospel and be filled with the knowledge of God. So here's the thing. It's really hard to just be frustrated with the world and filled with God at the same time. I imagine that resonates with your experience. Because the moments where I'm just like really frustrated with, the wor- with my circumstances of the world are not the moments where I'm flourishing. <laughs> and so I wonder, like maybe that's the thing. And maybe we, I mean the reality is we live in a world where in this tech-driven society we are constantly flooded with things that are, computers are feeding us to make us angry and frustrated and complaining. What we don't realize in those moments is that we are giving ourselves to things that are draining us of the life of God, not filling us with the life of God. And so we look across the United States and the world even, but let's just talk about the U.S. And I see stuff every week about how the church is a mess and things are in trouble and Christians aren't serious and all this stuff. And I think, well, maybe it's because we give so much of our energy to things that drain us of the life of God. Because we can't be fruitful when we're drained. 
We want to be fruitful people. We've got to be filled with God, Jesus, the Spirit. We've got to love and celebrate and rehearse the gospel. We've got to love and celebrate and rehearse the scriptures. We've got to love and celebrate and rehearse worship and the church and the mission. So the questions are pretty straightforward. Is my life fruitful? Is yours? Would the people around me say, that's a fruitful life? I have benefited from the fruit that God is working in that person's life. And if not, why not? What's missing? Are we a people consistently seeking to be filled with the life of God? If we are, we will be people who consistently produce fruit for the kingdom of God. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.